Welcome to No More Mondays, the podcast that helps you navigate career challenges through the wisdom of professionals who have been at the same crossroads. I'm your host, Angie Callen, and I welcome you to join me each week as I chat with leaders, entrepreneurs, and employees who are here to share practical, tactical advice and some inspiration on how they arrived at career satisfaction. From job searching and career changes to going out on your own, we're breaking down barriers and providing actionable takeaways to help you take charge of your Mondays and ditch the Sunday blues. Welcome to the No More Mondays movement. Hello and welcome to the No More Mondays podcast. I'm your host, Angie Callen. One of the awesome things about podcasting is the people that you get to meet and connect with thanks to being a podcast host. John Saunders and I were connected via this tight-knit world of entrepreneurs, authors, and podcasters a few years ago, and not only was he an awesome guest in season two, he and I have kept in touch and have become supporters in each other's networks. And today, he gets a special distinction as the first repeat guest on No More Mondays. If you haven't already listened to my first conversation with John, take a scroll back to season two and tune into an episode titled How to Thrive in a Rapidly Changing World. You'll get to hear all about John's backstory, career change, MBA pursuits at the ripe old age of 43, and some of the awesome work he's doing as an author coach, executive coach, and many other things. Today, he and I are going to have some fun as all of you out there get to listen to the random and meandering banter of two entrepreneurs who love coaching, writing, and inspiring others. So let's see where this goes, John. Welcome back to No More Mondays. I am so touched that I'm your first repeat guest. And, you just uh, feel so honored. I think of like SNL that you get a robe after five revisits or something, maybe, or a, a jacket, is it? You what, you want another hat? <laughs> a hat? I love that hat you gave me, by the way. That was very nice of yeah, you. Yeah, there you go. I'll, I'll, uh, if, you need a, if you need a replacement, because it's, you know, been sun bleached, well, you just earned it with appearance number two. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, you bring up a good point. I'm going to have to think of next level swag for repeat guests if we, if we make this a, uh, a habit. But one of the reasons I thought of, you know, having you and I catch up is just as we've kept in touch... I've been really inspired by a lot of the things that you've been able to do and experiences you've been able to have through your work and also what you're doing for others. Uh, When we last visited each other, we talked about your book, The Optimizer, that was kind of a recent publication that was that was out on on shelves. So I'd love an update on how that's been going over the last I'm going to say it's been like a year and a half, two years since that episode. So Give us an update on the optimizer. How's that been working out for you? What exciting things have come from it? Tell us what's new in your world. Thank you. Yeah, time flies, doesn't it? It's hard to believe that was uh, that long ago. You know, since we last spoke, uh, the book is, I guess it's going to be out, uh, it's about, it's out about a year and a half now. So it's probably right around the launch date, I guess. Um, you know, continue to share with others, continue to take the lessons from it, which is how to create cultures of serial innovation, which is, you know, it sounds, might sound easy, but it's certainly not. And it's helping people pull all the pieces together to make that happen. And so I've been able to do that in two worlds, which is fun as an executive coach and as an author coach. And there's just been some really fun things that have come out of the author coaching, uh, some really interesting opportunities since we've been able to pull together and some new business lines. I've been able to help the book publisher who, after I published my book, they hired me to come out and be a coach for their author. So it's been a lot of fun pulling those things together. You really never know where an initiative is going to take you. Like you mentioned the idea of writing a book getting into a publishing program to do it, right? You were kind of part of a program. And then all of a sudden that opens doors into something you never expected it to, which is now helping kind of others do the same. And I have insider knowledge here of something very exciting that recently happened because of this. 
So you've got to tell everybody about a little trip you recently got to take. It was amazing. Uh, yeah, just recently, uh, just a couple weeks ago, came back from Uganda, which I don't, I'm, I'm going to put it out there, probably wasn't on the top of my list for places to go on vacation in the last number of years or, or ever, quite frankly. And it all came through working with one of the authors and helping them find a really unique opportunity. And it's kind of a fun story and it really helps. I feel like it sort of pulls all of my life, life's work together and how this thing happened. Uh, it's a new author. We met last January, so January 2021. And she's an older African-American woman. And I met her in one of the group workshops that I was helping out with. And then she said, hey, can we do a one-on-one -on -one call, like a one-on-one -on -one coaching call? I said, sure. So we get on this call and uh, she said, John, I'm an introvert and I've never sold anything. And now I have to go sell a book. I, well, I don't even know what to do here. <laughs> and I said, well, this is an interesting one. I haven't had this conversation yet. <laughs> and so I asked her the questions I often ask everyone, which is, what is your book about? Why did you write it? And who might benefit from helping you tell this story? And so her book was about five young girls of color going to Africa to save the, silver, uh, the mountain gorilla, which are very unique. There's only 1,063 left in the world. Over half of them are in Uganda and in the Bawindi impenetrable forest. So the girls go down there. They each have these gifts and steam. So one is a science, technology, engineering, uh, arts and math. And they take these skills that they have and they go to the rainforest, the Burundi rainforest, uh, impenetrable forest, and they uh, save the mountain gorilla. And so I said, why did you write this book? And she said very clearly, you know, I did all this volunteer work in Oakland, uh, in a really tough neighborhood in Oakland, with these young girls of color, 10, 11, 12 years old, coming from very tough family circumstances, backgrounds. And oftentimes they kind of gave them an after school program with a little bit more structure. And this one girl comes in one day and it was often hard to get on track. And Lisa, the author's name, Lisa Randolph, hands the little girl a book. And the girl who was, you know, having a really hard time with grades and not doing well in school comes back two days later and says, can I have another book? And that little girl went on to get a scholarship at UC Santa Cruz and now lives near me in Washington, D.C. and does work to help kids like her that are, you know, sort of coming from a circumstance she was in. Oh, that's amazing. So it's an unbelievable story. And so I said, all right, who would benefit from telling this, helping you tell this story, right? Because it's all about finding a win-win-win. And this is how you create leverage for yourself, no matter what you're doing. So, you know, who's the author? What's their mission? What's their book? And you can insert service or product, whatever it is you do for a living. And who would benefit from that? And where's the intersection of those things? So we brainstorm on a number of ideas, you know, STEM, STEAM or STEM programs uh, around California where she lives, um, tech companies, Silicon Valley, I think they'd be supportive of this. And the third or fourth idea I landed on was, what about African safaris? Like, I think they might be interested in a bunch of American kids coming to Africa. So we start poking around Instagram and the internet. And sure enough, this guy had a wrote a post, hashtag Bowindi Impenetrable Forest. And, you know, we were like, what is this? So send him a note. Kevin Bayarugaba is the name of this uh, safari operator. Well done um, on that last name. <laughs> I'm probably still not doing it very well. Sorry, Kevin. Uh, and uh, he, he runs an operator, a, a, a safari company called the uh, Let's Go Gorilla. And so he, he's like, you're writing a book about little American girls coming to our country to save the gorillas? This is unbelievable. And so he said, you need to meet the, uh, these people in the government, the Wildlife Authority, the Tourism Board. And I mean, literally just took off from there. Fast forward, they uh, want to do a book launch. <clears throat> and uh, I worked with her. As, you know, we brainstormed, where, how do we do a book launch for this? And she was like, restaurants and all these kind of things. I said, wait a minute, this is a kid's book about gorillas. Like, there's all these zoos around the San Francisco and Sacramento area. Let's do that. So we set up a five kind of zoo tour. And these guys are flying out from Uganda to come to this book launch with her. Well, COVID spikes and they can't come. And, 
you know, uh, I was, it was kind of devastating, quite frankly, we spent all this time putting the other program together and now it's dead. Right. And so I said, why don't we do it virtually? And, uh, so then I said, I'll host it. So we hosted it. So I had these two guys, three guys on from Uganda, the author, me. And after the call, they were like, you all should come and do a book launch here. And I, do you think, do you think they thought you'd really do it? Right. That's what's so cool they... about being somebody like, like, don't say that to me. I'll do it. <laughs> oh, I tell people that all the time. I'm like, don't invite me somewhere strange because I'll show up. <laughs> I'll show up. And it's kind of <laughs> far like, away. It doesn't matter. <laughs> and, and Uganda wasn't necessarily on the list of places to go, but it also wasn't not on the list. Well, fun fact, the author and I both have something really interesting in common. We both grew up watching. Now I'm going to date myself for some of your listeners. Uh, Mutual of Omaha, Wild Kingdom. Do you Wild remember that Wild Kingdom show? was amazing. So I grew up watching these shows and we had National Geographic always on the coffee table in my house. So going on an African safari has just always been on my sort of brain. And I just figured I'd do it when I was like 65 or something. Was that, was that Marty Stauffer? No, he was Wild America. I can't remember the name of the host, but anyway, I watched that show all the time. Still, uh, like, I mean, it's such an obscure connection to make from... And, and this is what I think is so cool about these kinds of networks that you build through kind of, you know, authorship or coaching or podcasting, that it's, you know, meeting a, a woman who wanted to write a book about an experience that then basically got to go and live that inspiration in in the the Bawundi impenetrable forest. That is not somewhere I've ever known about, but now I have it as a trivial pursuit answer the next time it comes up. And I got to tell you, uh, not only did we get to go there, uh, you know, as we sort of built the plans out for this trip, I was talking to my sister about it, who's a little bit older than me and has kids of her own. And uh, I was like, yeah, I'm going down there. It sounds like we're going to be traveling around with a bunch of government officials to all these safari parks. And my sister said, can I go? And I said, let me ask. And uh, sure enough, they offered her the same deal as me, which was really nice. And, uh, and the whole entourage went to Uganda. Well, just the two of us and then the author. And then we traveled around in a truck, a big land cruiser, like these big safari land cruisers, which are, I've only seen them on TV, super cool trucks, really big land cruisers. And uh, uh, it was the driver who works for the Uruganda Tourism Board. And the name, that name was on the side of the truck, which that is an important side note here, because when you roll around a country, this average income is $800. You know, what, you know, the vehicle you're in matters in terms of getting in certain places. So we'd roll up to any gate and it would just open up and they would let us in and go, hey, what do you guys need? <laughs> Traveling with these guys was amazing. So tourism board driver, me, tour guide, my sister, author, and the head of sales and marketing for the Uganda Wildlife Authority, which was the bonus prize and our, our little ace in the hole. Because everywhere we'd show up, every safari park, her company operates. So we'd show up and she'd basically walk up to the gate and say, hi, we'd like your best guide and best tour today. Please take us there. <laughs> I feel like if you could bring Walt Disney back, you basically got the equivalent of the behind the scenes tour of Disney World by Walt, just the Ugandan parallel. It was unbelievable. Like many parks, you have to stay on the main path, which is two tracks, dirt tracks, very bumpy. And uh, but then if you want to go off track and kind of go really because the animals don't hang out right by the road. So if you hire the guide and pay her this extra money, which we never paid for any of this because uh, of this deal we had. We'd go wherever we wanted, and every day we'd see all these animals, and we'd come back to the lodge at night, and people would be like, ah, oh, we didn't see any animals today. And I'd be thinking, You'd be you like, don't want to mm, see the pictures on my just phone. Gonna, <laughs> just going to stop talking. <laughs> and now, a word from our sponsor. This episode of No More Mondays is brought to you by Athletic Greens. 
as many of you know, I live a very active lifestyle here in the Colorado Rockies, and I'm also gluten-free. So I started taking AG1 because I wanted a quick and easy way to support my gut health and my immunity. I also love a good routine, and AG1 makes it easy to get my daily dose of vitamins. I just pop a scoop in a blender bottle, shake it up, and I get 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, and superfoods during my 22-minute drive to CrossFit. The bonus? Not only do I feel great during my early morning workout, I sleep better and I have more mental clarity, all without breaking the bank because this is just $3 a day. As a climate neutral certified company, I can also feel good about that three bucks going somewhere meaningful. We're partnering with Athletic Greens to make it easy for you to stock up. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com emerging. Again, that's athleticgreens.com emerging to take ownership of your health and pick the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. I'm going to take us on a little segue from this because you, you brought up something at the beginning that I think is interesting, and it's that idea of like the win-win-win. And, and it really like the level of communications and outreach that went into making all of this happen, not even just from the book, but the launch and getting uh, you know, kind of stakeholders from Uganda involved in making this trip happen. And uh, I'm going to play into executive coach John for a second. Shameless plug. You're one of those two. And I'm sure you see that kind of communications. And then let's say that, like, what's the mutually beneficial solution kind of thing? It's It can be a challenge in business today and to kind of find that common ground with all kinds of competing interests. So what's your what's your advice to business leaders who are trying to kind of work through that kind of communications challenge, the win-win-win, and all while to bring the optimizer back in this innovating. Like, what's it? What's what? Let's go there for a little while. I'll I'll I'll, I'll stay with a, a a little bit of a toe back in our last story for just a minute because there's a punchline to it that I think also addresses the question you're asking, which is, we did all these safari days, seven safari days, which was amazing. On the final day, we did a book launch with government officials and several media outlets there. Uh, the, the U.S. ambassador to Uganda was the keynote speaker. And then the head, the minister of tourism, uh, wildlife and antiquities both spoke at this event. And it was incredibly well covered and just extraordinary. And it, I think it gets to the point you're talking about, which is one of the things we did there very, I think, effectively and, and helped uh, the author work on was really illustrating her why. The story about how she really wanted to help empower these young girls to change the trajectory of their lives and communicating that mission, that why very clearly and repeatedly. Now transferring over to leader, how does this apply to leadership? So many times I find leaders have a thought, an idea, they share it and they think, oh, everybody gets it. I don't need to talk about that anymore. And in fact, I would argue it's probably seven or so times you need to share your themes, your values, your core beliefs with your team before it really settles with them and frame everything you say through that lens. Super important. And if you don't, people are going to sort of find a way to value it or sort of place it in their lives by themselves. And that's, you're going to get up, come up with a lot of different solutions. The punchline to this story is, or the fine point is, you need to come up with your values, your systems, your missions, and frame everything through it enough times till everyone's starting to use this language. And until that day arrives, you haven't done it. The seven points is so interesting. We hear that all the time around external marketing, that you've got to go get in front of your prospective audience or your prospective buyer seven times. I think sometimes it's more like nine now because there's just so much noise out there. But it's almost the same way with an internal group of customers or or staff 
who you want to get buy-in around something that they may not be as emotionally connected to and naturally gravitate towards as you as the leader who conceptualized it are. And it's easy to forget that as the person who it's always front of mind and giving giving people a reason and the repetitions to kind of buy in and adopt it uh, into something that's as natural as it is for, as for us who are driving it is, is actually a very important element of leveraging the why. If you're going to take the time to define that why, define your mission, your core values, and you know, your vision – you might as well deliver multiple impressions to get the buy-in from the help from the people who are helping you execute on that. Or it's going to die a quick death. I mean, that's the reality of it. And until people take ownership of it and you invite them into that journey, it's, it's not going to have a lot of legs to it. And you said something interesting that I work with uh, particularly leaders around, which is thinking about your employees as clients. Right? What do you want from a great client? A long, mutually beneficial relationship that grows over time. Why would you not want the same thing with your people, right? Why would you not, and why would you not want that longevity? It's it's really funny that the last to bring this kind of like almost full circle. The last time we talked, we titled the episode How to Thrive in a Rapidly Changing World. That title was very much came because you and I went down a rabbit hole, just like we're doing now around analysis paralysis and young people. And it's almost like, and that's that we were kind of talking about how to overcome that, how to embrace change, you know, how to be less fearful so that you can thrive in this rapidly changing world. And now we're kind of bookending it with how do executives thrive in this rapidly changing world? And how do you engage those people at the younger end? Because they're very driven by whys and missions. And if you look at them as humans who have those motivators and you feed into that, You'll build retention, you'll build engagement, you'll build productivity versus the older way of doing business, which is still unfortunately very prevalent in corporate America, which is humans are a number and they're entirely replaceable. I mean, it's it's not that big of a mindset shift I've found, but until people sort of cross over that boundary and see the light on the other side, they oftentimes don't get it. And it starts with communication and trust. I'm guessing you, because it's interesting to me that like the optimizer focuses in that, like, how do you continually innovate? And I think this is actually a very important aspect of how you continually innovate or create an environment that can continually innovate. Right. And it doesn't, people don't innovate naturally. Uh, Let me rephrase that. A handful, a small percentage of your team will naturally innovate because they've that's kind of their mindset. They feel safe doing it for whatever reason. Maybe they've got enough of a track record to prove it. Maybe it's just in them, whatever. But on average, that's not happening. And I believe it's up to the leaders to really uh, unleash that power. And that starts with building trust, getting to know your team members, communicating clearly with them and helping them understand the road path that they're on and giving them a voice in the game, in the journey, right? Nobody wants to be dictated to. And so part of this is also figuring out not only helping people see what this vision is, but giving them a thumbprint on it, if you will. So, so important because that, of course, drives ownership and ownership drives buy-in and buy-in drives engagement and results. It's all dominoes. It's funny. A lot of this, when you look, there's hindsight, it really does have the whole 2020 thing in in many ways. When I started my career as an engineer way back in the day, um, before cell phones, before dating apps, before texting, (laughs) (laughs) um, I really struggled with feeling like I was a cog in a wheel and not understanding a bigger picture. So uh, for those of you out there who don't know, I used to be a civil engineer, and I worked for this uh, company who designed, um, we were designing the Charlotte light rail uh, stops, which I actually believe now exists. How cool is that? 20 plus something years later. 
And I was basically my job was designed to design parking lots for seven park and ride stops along this like 15 stop light rail system. Sounds exhilarating. It was just, I mean, <laughs> enthralling. Uh, you know, once you do one, it's really just like, OK, let's angle the parking spaces a little different way and run this sewer line a different direction and we're good to go, which was part of my rub, but not the point of this particular story. My problem was. I was given no context of the bigger picture. And I've also now figured out I am a very contextual person just by nature. But I think even if you're not, I didn't have the bigger why I was doing this. I didn't actually realize until much later that this was part of a larger system. I understood the bigger picture of the design. And then I was would have been more engaged in it had I understood why and what I was designing seven random parking lots for. So it's a very, very specific anecdote. However, had I been sat, had somebody sat down with me and said, Angie, here's our design for this light rail system. Here's the overall plan. There are 15 stations. Nine of them are, uh, are actual like city stops. The other seven are going to have, like, I would have just been like so much more excited to contribute to that bigger picture instead of just being kind of siloed in this little vacuum of, you know, go design seven parking lots. So I think the message that John and I are sending to you all out there who are leaders is don't just tell your team to go design seven parking lots. And, and not to mention, like you're going to decrease traffic, you're going to help with pollution, right? There's so many different things you can add on to help people sort of feel it in different ways. And you, that's part of knowing your audience, your employees is being able to speak and more clearly about framing that message through great stories. Yeah. And it's, a, I mean, I mean, civil engineering, and this is why I don't do it, is, is a fairly drier subject. So I don't know how innovative it gets, but at a higher level, it's, it's that message around kind of like, think about your people as people play into their strengths as a way to inspire them into whatever it is you are trying to innovate. Because when you, when you do give your team the, the space, whether that's like the mental space, the autonomous space, and independence, whatever that means, innovation does come. Right. And it, it doesn't happen by chance, but it's about unleashing them. And that was part of what inspired me to write my book. I, I think I touched on a little bit last time we spoke, but you know, I believe everyone has extraordinary gifts to give to the world, but they don't just come out and share them automatically. And if you can find a way to connect with them, and this is what the book and all my work is about, like help them think in a sort of incremental change mindset, help them define a problem that they're up against that they could work on that's that they're passionate about they're going to go jump on it and if you can help them self-define it or self uh identify it the ownership stake just goes so much higher and yeah it might fail and that's okay and you have to let them know that right not everything you try is going to work right they don't call they don't call business winning right <laughs> there are risks and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But having this constant allocating a percentage of your time to this incremental change mindset can just have absolutely powerful effects down the road because everything builds upon itself. And the other piece of this puzzle that I find very powerful is once you get people going in this direction and thinking, how can I sort of work on something I'm passionate about, bringing them back in to share it with their team members. Hey, I've been working on this and this worked or it didn't work. And it like proactively as a leader, giving them that space to go out and come back and tell that story to the team and let the team have been working on this for three months and this is working. And the team members oftentimes say, hey, uh, maybe make this slight modification here and it'll work even better. Or boy, I don't know if that's going to work at all, but giving them that engagement. So let people work uh, uh, in sort of their little laboratory with you as their leader, but then bring it back to the team to kind of bring some more broadly. 
super important exercise to help, I think, drive results. And all under the umbrella of here's our mission, here's where we're headed. And all of this, we want to lead to driving business results. But knowing that it's safe, that if it doesn't work, you know, the ramifications are little to nothing. Exactly. There's You're still mitigating risk, but you're not. you're also not afraid to fail because... There is the cliche, and I believe that cliches exist for a reason, and it's because they're usually true, that of failing forward. And it's really interesting. A few times recently as I've been kind of like writing resumes for people who are in those kind of like early stage manager positions, I've had this come up, I think, two or three times. And I, when stuff starts to come up repeatedly, I always pay attention. You know, common, pay attention to common themes out there, folks. They usually are trying to tell you something. But these people have actually said to me, like, you know, we, we actually intentionally as a team were trying to fail fast. And it's because you get to learn and it's part of kind of that new agile mindset and, and framework of, of business and development of anything that let's fail fast so we can learn from that. And the next time we'll fail less and we continue to inch ourselves forward and you can really get somewhere that way. It's such an important lesson that you're framing out here. And I would add one sort of wrinkle to this for people to think about is don't associate you and your identity with the idea and whatever it is you're working on. And so many times we do that. Oh, this is my idea. And if my coworker doesn't like it, then I'm angry at them. Or they're, I, they get, we get defensive and say, oh, they're, they're stupid or they don't like me or something like this. And what, what I really try to help leaders think about is let's detach ourselves and our identities from this idea. And let's focus on how do we solve problems for this company? How do we solve problems for our customers that will provide value? And that way, when we bring new ideas to the table, and this is a big mindset shift for a lot of people, instead of saying, oh, well, Angie had a great idea or Angie had a terrible idea, it's that idea that we're talking about solved a problem for our customers, let's continue to push on that, or it didn't, let's maybe pivot and move away from it. And that helps people get out of that sort of defensive posture that often can come up. That's actually a very, very good point. And I think that's something to be aware of if you're a leader out there and you always want your ideas to be the best. You're missing opportunity if, if you have that mentality. Right. If your team members are all sitting there quietly, you know, when your best people, this is one of the favorite lines in my book, like when your best people go quiet at meetings, it's because they're filling out, they're updating their LinkedIn profile. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, all those quiet people in meetings out there, call me. Um, why do people, people, everybody should listen to us, John. We do solve the world's problems. Is that, I think you're right. I think you're on something here. Speaking of which. We're going to give you shameless plug. You have a program coming up where people can learn all of this from you. What if, uh, what's coming up around the corner? Yeah, uh, I've been working, uh, worked with the book publisher over the last number of months, and we built out a new executive book author coaching program. So people really focused on uh, not just writing a book, but creating a movement and starting, uh, uh, starting, starting and creating a movement that has, can drive real change in the world. And the traditional program is about 10 or 11 months long. You spend about five months writing your manuscript and about four or five months in revisions and editing on the publishing side of the house. Uh, this model gives you five months of writing your manuscript and then four or five months with what we call revision activation. And what, what we found is if you take the time to really activate your audience during the revision process versus just kind of putting your book out to the market faster, you get a lot of super fans, uh, a lot more super fans on board. And super fans are what makes a book really go viral on Amazon. Right. So many people write books and they the average book author sells 200 books, period. No way. That's a crazy statistic. Right. Well, think about how many people sell less than 200. Right. You've got your Brene Browns who sell, you know, millions. Right. And this kind of thing. But you've got tons of people who wait till their book hits Amazon and they self-publish. And that's the extent of their marketing. So we spend an enormous amount of time helping people really build their audience, identify 
how to grow their audience and go after the, that, that group and then activate them. So when the book does hit Amazon, they've got this tremendous groundswell behind them. And we do a pre-sale about three quarters of the way through. So not only do you get this audience going that's going to be involved, but they buy your book months before it hits the market. And then they get a signed copy. They get to come to a talk that you do. And we coach them through all these different things to help build these packages to make that happen. Uh, and it's just been super fun. Uh, so the traditional cohort has been around. Uh, that program has produced about 1,500 authors now. Uh, dozens of award winners now, which has been really, really cool to see. And now this new program is really attracting executives. So we've, uh, we're on to the third cohort now. So uh, we've had about, it capped at 15. So the idea is to keep it a very tight-knit group, kind of a mastermind type style. The weekly workshop has weekly workshops, bi-weekly executive coaching with me and uh, my partner on it. And it's just been awesome to see how this thing has taken off and the way people have engaged, the caliber of people it's attracting, and really starting to see movements take hold, which has been incredible. I also think the mastermind aspect of authoring is really interesting because oftentimes we kind of just sit and we write our own ideas and then you have that like one editor or there it's it's minimal people involved versus that kind of like hive mind energy right and you know the the, the tagline for this uh program is called never write alone right so many people have this vision of you know the, the cabin in the woods and you go off and write for six months and then your books there it is couldn't be further from the truth. This is a, a very much a cohort program. You have these people going through the same challenges and, and you know highs and lows that you are, and you can brainstorm together. You get to know each other and learn and grow together, which is super super fun. Well, I'll give John the shameless plug that if you are a high level business person thinking about writing a book, this could be a great program for you. Obviously, there's the traditional program as well, but I think the the big thing here is. Uh, if you're thinking about self-publishing and shelling out 15 grand for a first run of books, think about that average 200 statistic because maybe investing in the upfront process of writing is actually, I think, a, you know, a better way to get a return on investment and better traction on your book. Yeah. And this program gets you to a first draft manuscript. And we always say, you know, you're no first uh, no first draft has ever been published, by the way. And that's something we dispel constantly. People are like, oh, my first draft manuscript isn't amazing. And we're like, yeah, that's how it's, that's how it goes, right? We're going to revise this four or five times in the next stage of this thing. But it's hard to see that when you're sort of new and don't know what the process is. Of course, we try to lay that out, but you're so busy, you sort of forget. But um, so it's, but the other part is that, you know, 90 plus percent of the folks that go through this program completely fund the cost of publishing through the presale that we also coach them extensively through. It's like the best of Kickstarter <laughs> applied to uh, uh, the authorship process. I just think this is really interesting because teaser, I have a manuscript that's in some format of development. Let's just call it that. <laughs> Join us, Angie. We'll yes. save a space for okay. you. Okay. <laughs> See, I'm getting, I'm getting sold on my own podcast, folks. What's going on here? Um, but uh, it, it, it is, a, it's just, it's a lot of it's the accountability when you're somebody busy like we are to sit down and actually go through that creative process and produce a thing that can then be reviewed by anyone um, outside of the squirrels joining you in the cabin in the woods. For me, it was a beach and I'm pretty sure my computer still has sand in it. After I came home, my husband was like, why did you go right on the beach and get sand in your computer? I was like, because I was inspired. Okay. And uh, I think it's just really interesting because there's a lot of synergy between like podcasting and authorship. So if this feels like a complete squirrel disconnect, I challenge you otherwise because podcasts are a great way to promote your book also. 
and um, and you have a podcast for authors. I host the podcast for the book publisher. Yeah, it's called The Creator Community. Which I think is really, really cool. Um, all right, so it's that time. You know what's coming. You're the only guest who, know, who has known what's coming, but it's time to play rapid fire. We've changed it slightly. It's a little less ridiculous, and I sing show tunes a little less now than I did before. <laughs> or 80s theme songs. That came up a lot before. But the first question is, what's your most memorable tra- travel destination in addition to the Burundi impen- impenetrable forest? That is also very difficult to say, by the way. That does not roll off the tongue. But windy and penetrable force. Okay, maybe um, for you it does. That was amazing. It was a seven and a half hour hike, seven plus miles straight up the mountain and back down. It was quite a day. Of course, you bring food and this kind of thing. But uh, I think beyond that, uh, on that, so if I can isolate the windy thing as one particular travel moment, I would take another safari park around that week, several, but uh, Queen Elizabeth, which is this incredible safari park with uh, this big river that runs through it. We're driving down this road to get to a boat tour that was part of, we were doing the car in the morning, the boat in the afternoon, and we're driving over there. And literally we stopped the truck because there's an elephant kind of coming through the bush and crossing the street. So we stopped the truck. Well, probably 50 elephant began, continued along right in front of us, which, you know, this is only stuff you see on Discovery, National Geographic or whatever. And we were late to the boat ride <laughs> because, you know, what do you do? There's traffic like 50, jam. <laughs> 50 elephant. There's no other cars around, but there's 50 elephant. That takes traffic jam to a whole new level. What was fascinating about that is I love to watch these kind of shows and these National Geographic safari shows. I've always been fascinated by that. Was to see it in real time, the things they describe. The matriarch, the mom always goes first in this big pack of 50 or so. And then sort of all the cousins, brothers, sisters, whatever. And the little babies are somewhere in the middle. And if they get out of step with the bigger elephants, everybody waits. And they let the baby get back in the middle where it's safe, which I thought was fascinating. And then the father, the patriarch of the family is in the back. And you know who he is because he's like twice as big as the rest of them. So it was really fascinating. This played out. It wasn't on TV. It was right in front of the, you know, the windshield of the truck. So I still believe that we can learn so much from elements, elephants. They're not just cute. They, um, were so, they were amazing. We have so many show notes to link for this. We're going to link all the Uganda stuff, all the safari stuff. And every all the books, including a great book recommendation. We're going to have at least three, yours, Lisa's, and another great book recommendation. What do you want to throw out to the crowd? Relationships to Infinity uh, by Jason Levin. Great book uh, that really helps you. Many times we want to connect or interconnect with people or reconnect with people. Uh, you know, we feel like networking is sort of a bad word sometimes and this kind of thing. He really helps detach that and help you understand why we think that way, how to overcome that thinking, and then create a little plan to go out and really connect or reconnect with people. So great I love there. that from a career perspective. That's a, a great recommendation. If you are really just fearful or resistant to, to networking because it feels icky and self-serving, there is a much more full circle aspect to it that you can miss and you can miss the power of the network if if you don't dive into it. So uh, relationships to infinity, right? Jason Levin, L-E-V-I-N. Right. One, one nugget on there that he talks about is if you want to, so I'll give you a little, uh, a little nugget from his book, which I love is we get all in our head about, particularly when you're marketing books and you know, you feel like, oh, I'm reaching out to the person. I haven't talked to them in five years. They're going to, I'm just selling them something. Right. And his whole thing is reconnect on a nostalgic way. Hey, Angie, you haven't talked to you in a few years. I loved how we always had lunch at this place on Fridays and just start with that. And he said, nostalgia is one of the most key elements to connect with, where to kind of rekindle that relationship and take it from there, see what happens. 
it doesn't, there's a way to warm up that contact that isn't just, hey, I haven't talked to you for a while. I need something. So <laughs> can I have 50 bucks? Buy yeah, my book. <laughs> exactly. Right. I still get notes like that sometimes. And I'm always like, really? It's like the it's well, we've talked about the spam LinkedIn. That's like five scrolls long with a Calendly link in it. You're not going to get a response from me, but that's another show. All right. This one might be a little fun. Not that everything we talk about isn't fun. John, what's a favorite movie? Favorite movie? Boy, that's yeah. I feel like there's so many. Uh, You know, I have young boys who love all things Disney. So we're really into all these like Avengers uh, uh you know, the, the, uh, you know, uh, oh my God, Iron Man and all these guys. So I don't know. I feel like we're going to watch Thor tonight. My kids are really excited about that. I haven't so seen really the on, new one yet. I haven't seen a lot of new movies yet, but we're going to watch it tonight. So. List. Those are big in our house watching those. And they're enjoyable. See, favorite movie doesn't have to be earth shattering. It could just be, I like superhero movies because they're entertaining and I do too. Yeah. My kids love them. You know, it's just kind of a fun way to do a Friday. And then we always ask for podcast, podcast recommendations. So and, and again, recommendations abound in a conversation with John and Angie. Uh, what's in addition to yours and mine? What's a podcast you faith, faithfully listen to? Thank you for that disclaimer. You know, one I've really enjoyed and I was a guest on uh, a month or two ago, My Favorite Mistake with Mark Graben. That is actually a great podcast. It's on my list. Have you heard of it? Yes, but I, okay. I haven't I haven't listened to it. We uh, yeah, we moved. So I had no summer. We bought a house and moved, so I've had no summer, which means I haven't seen many of the new releases, including Thor, or listened to a podcast in a hot minute. So I'll have to go pull up your episode, uh, which we'll link in the show notes, too, in addition to the podcast in general. But uh, what's like, give everybody the the little elevator pitch on that show. Literally, the first question is, what's your favorite mistake? And the idea is that you share some epic failure in your life. But then what did you learn from it? How did you grow? And how did you take that to make your career better? That's the As Robin Roberts said, make your mess your message. And that podcast is all about how did you do that? And of course, this is a show about Mondays. So what's the first word that comes to mind now when I say Monday? Yeah, I think last time I, I used the, maybe used the word fresh or new and um, I think exhilarating, right? I'm going to use that word now because literally, I, I, especially when I get myself really well prepared for Mondays and, and I, I read your Sunday Scaries email and it gets me inspired. Uh, it really is exhilarating. Woohoo. Shameless plug. Right. You like that? Yeah. Uh, and honestly, like if you can be ready for a Monday and have your kind of act together and think about what you're doing, it like I want to dive in and it's exhilarating because like, what am I going to take do this week? And that's exciting to me. So I'm going to go with exhilarating this time. Okay. Exhilarating is a step up from fresh. So you've, you've like, you've become even more in tune with your Mondays since the last episode. Thank you. And uh, as we wrap things up, and before I ask our last question, and we get even more great advice for everybody out there, I would love for for you to remind people where they can find you, learn about your coaching, learn about the author program, learn about the book. There's lots of stuff you've got going on, and how does everybody follow that journey? Sure. Uh, Easiest place to find me is uh, johncsaunders.com, S-A-U-N-D-E-R-S. Uh, that's everything links to you there. Uh, if you want to learn about the book program uh, starting this fall, uh, late October, it's creator.institute is that website. And then uh, if you want to check out my pictures from Uganda, go to uh, JCS Optimizer on Instagram. That's my uh, oh, handle Oh, there you go. Oh, we have so many links to, to provide. And uh, I've, I've seen the Uganda pics on Instagram. They're amazing. 
it's it's said that you. you're going to get some hopefully you get some followers from this because you should all who doesn't want to see a real parade of 50 elephants like come on that's amazing it was incredible all right let's give everybody one more gold nugget what is your best piece of advice on what our listeners can do to get a step closer to a more enjoyable career or business don't be afraid to ask people for help you know this so many people are willing to help you out there, but they're not going to take the initiative, right? They're not going to say, oh, Angie, I bet you're struggling with this. Let's talk about it, right? No one's going to make that phone call. But if you can go to someone, particularly with a project or an idea that you're working on and say, hey, I'm thinking about this or that, how might you fine tune this thing or make it better? And that can become a really powerful conversation to have with folks. And sometimes we think, oh, I want to get a job here or there, or make this change in my career. And it's going to magically happen. The way you magically happen is make yourself the easy choice. The way you make yourself the easy choice is, have something tangible you can bring to people to help bring this idea full circle so you can really illustrate what you do and what you've done and what you could bring to the table. So, and I think that happens by partnering with someone, getting feedback and really being vulnerable enough to ask for help. I love that you just brought it all full circle with our first episode. So I'm going to encourage everybody, if you didn't listen to How to Thrive in a Rapidly Changing World, the No More Mondays episode in John's first appearance on the show, Listen, because you all just link, you just linked it all together because in that episode, we did talk a lot about mentorship and getting over that fear of, of feeling or seeming weak by asking for help. You are your, you are your sometimes only, and you're certainly best advocate and you can get a lot farther in life and in your career and in business. If you're willing to admit you're your own best advocate and be vulnerable in getting that help and mentorship. And so I love that that was the last piece of advice is just get over yourself and ask for the help that you want and you need. And it's going to help you get further. And people want to give you. You just have to advocate for it. 100%. And have an idea. Have like a little project you're working on to make it happen. That's literally how my book came to life. I started writing stuff. I shared it with people. And the guy just, just grew and grew and grew. And now it's a book. That's a great piece of advice to take us home, John. I knew that there would be some good pearls of wisdom in here. Here, It's always fun to have you on the show and just even, you know, catch up in our off non-recorded conversations. So thank you once again for being a faithful member of the No More Mondays family and for sharing your recent travels and successes and experiences with the crowd out there. This has been fantastic. So fun, Angie. Always great to see you. Pleasure to be on the show. Thank you again, John. And for those of you out there listening, I would love for you to subscribe to No More Mondays wherever you get our podcasts and leave us a five-star rating because it is a huge help as people like John and I continue to bring you podcast episodes, inspire confident professionals, leaders, authors, whoever is listening with us. these great stories and recommendations. If you want to leave us comments, feedback, guest suggestions, or grab the many awesome resources that are going to be in the show notes for today, visit us online at nomormondays.info, and we will see you next week for another edition of the No More Mondays podcast. Thanks for joining us for another episode of No More Mondays. Tune in next week as we bring you more insights and actions to help you improve your professional life and find career satisfaction. Don't forget... Visit us online at nomormondays.info for all the details, show notes, and recommendations from this episode. No More Mondays, we drop new episodes every Wednesday. No More Mondays is brought to you by Career Benders Inc. in partnership with executive producer Jane Durkee. For more information about career coaching, resume writing, personal branding, recruiting, and entrepreneurship coaching services, visit our website at careerbenders.com. 